Today I have the unimaginable opportunity of standing before a group of people that I love on behalf of a leadership team that feels like family to commemorate the history of a place that feels like home. You have granted me the distinct honor of being the longest serving lead pastor in the history of our congregation, 20 years out of 60, and the high privilege of spending almost half of my life in service to this wonderful church. Eight other pastors served this congregation during our first 40 years. I am the ninth to be called to this office. Pastor Jack Lehman will soon become the 10th. In every way, I have attempted to be a good steward of our apostolic legacy. But I am keenly aware of the words of Jesus in John chapter 4. One sows and another reaps. Other men labored and you have entered into their labors. More than half of our former pastors have gone on to their heavenly reward and on this wonderful occasion today, we pause to give thanks to God for each and every one of them. But I came to this pulpit today to say this. A church is far more than just its pastors. Because brothers and sisters, the family of God is measured in saints. People whose lives and families and futures and eternities have been changed by the preaching of the word of God and by the power of his spirit. People who pray and give and worship and live together every week doing life for Jesus. People who have laughed together around fellowship tables and danced together around our altars and wept together around caskets. People with a redeemed past and a glorious future. People who love God and love each other and love those who are still lost beyond our doors. People, precious people like all of you, called to the highest calling of the kingdom, called to be saints. Now we know, we've preached it, we've been told it, we've said it. The church is not a building. And yet if any year has ever taught us that our buildings are important, it would be this last year. How we miss gathering together over the months that pandemic restrictions kept us apart. How thankful we were to drive back up this hill and walk into these doors and back into this place. I said it emphatically one year ago, and it's grown in my spirit, and I say it as strongly as I can today. If we can build great arenas for sports, and if we can build grand theaters for performance, and if we can build giant malls for shopping, then it's only good and right and fair for us to have beautiful sanctuaries for worshiping our God. Over the last 60 years, we've made the journey from the small auditorium of a local landmark just down over the hill to our present church complex here on Baseball Hill in historic Marysville. 
we've grown from a tiny group of believers to hundreds of people worshiping with us each week. We've transitioned from that single accordion to a dynamic band and a a talented worship team. We've expanded from a single pastor to a multi-faceted leadership team. And we've moved beyond impacting a single city to mentoring pastors and teaching thousands of believers around the world through our internet and missions ministries. All of which is to say, the Lord Jesus has been mighty good to Capital Community Church. And so today, as we mark 60 years of ministry, we pause to honor all three. The pastors who have led our families, the saints who have molded our memories, and yes, even this place that has so much shaped our identity.
Would you add your voice and give the Lord a great praise for 60 years of His faithfulness and His goodness. Oh, thank you, Jesus. By a quirk of the calendar, and because we are still in construction, today we are meeting in our old sanctuary, broadcasting to the folks in our main lobby and to our online audience. We marched up the hill from McGloin Street to Downing Street in the spring of 1977, 44 years ago. And this very room was where we worshiped God for the next 11 years until the spring of 1988. This room is where I first served CCC as an assistant pastor, so it has special memories for me. Although this space has now been renovated and rebuilt to serve our growing congregation, many of you have vivid memories of powerful moves of God around these very altars. This is sacred space to us. If these walls could talk, they'd tell a love story, a story of a miracle property and a miracle working God. A story of diligent leaders and faithful church members. A story that twisted and turned, blossomed and grew, equal parts more lovely and more messy with each new chapter. Because these walls would tell a redemption story of once shattered lives now blended together in a beautiful mosaic of God's glorious grace. If these walls could talk, They'd tell the story of a much smaller congregation that walked into this once cavernous space with their hearts as wide open as their dreams. Those people built this sacred place that they couldn't possibly begin to fill, and then they watched God fill it to overflowing. If these walls could talk, they'd speak of heart-bursting joy heartbreaking loss, and years of gratitude in between. Gratitude to see others join the family and then proudly watching them grow. Gratitude to hear the running little feet of the toddlers, the shuffling steps of the elders, and the footsteps of everyone in between who come here and follow the master with us. If these walls could talk, they would burst with pride to tell you about little children learning to pray great big prayers. They'd tell you about teenagers living unashamedly for God in an ungodly age. They'd talk to you about families putting God's kingdom first in their everyday lives. And these walls, if they could, they would speak in hushed and reverential tones of dozens of dedicated saints now gone on to heaven who poured everything they had and everything they were into this local assembly, influencing all who would follow in their faithful footsteps. If these walls could talk, they'd whisper the collective hopes and prayers of mothers and fathers, parents and children, brothers and sisters, neighbors and friends, rich and poor, once strangers to each other, but now made family by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
because these walls ring with accumulated years of wonderful worship, tender tears, powerful preaching, joyful shouts, and so many memorable moments in the manifest presence of God. I think if these walls could talk, they'd probably begin to sing. You know, one of those deep, refreshing, soul-filling kinds of songs that you sing when you look back over your life and you look back down the road and you see the faithfulness of God to you and your family and your church. If these walls could, I know they'd just kind of lift up their voice and say, This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day. Would you sing it like a big choir? This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my My song, praising my Savior all the day long. <laughs> Through it all. Through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Oh, through it all. Yes, yes. Through it all, I've learned to depend. Oh, somebody join Brother Larry and just stand in God's presence today. Yes, through it all. Oh, through it all. I've learned to trust in Jesus. And I've learned to trust in God. Oh, through it all. Yes, through Upon his word. Would you lift up your praise to the Lord? How beautiful he is right there. 
<laughs> Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Oh, yes, Jesus. Oh, yes, Jesus. I love you, God. You can be seated. Thank you so much. These walls, they represent 60 years of history and heritage, all wrapped up in a future filled with hope, as bright as the promises of God. No, these walls can't talk, but you can. So if God has been so good and so faithful to you, faithful beyond what you deserve or ever could have imagined, then on this wonderful Sunday, we all owe him a great debt of praise. He's been so faithful to us. If these walls could talk, oh my, would they be a witness to all of us of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. In the Bible, anytime you see a heap of stones somewhere, it means either something died here, or God did something miraculous here, or we made a commitment to God here. Or many times it means all three happened at the same point. If you read through the book of Joshua, which tells the story of Israel marching into their promised land, you'll see the story of many altars built during the conquest of Canaan. There were the stones on the bank of the Jordan River where God miraculously parted the waters and they crossed over. There were the stones in the middle of the Jordan River where the priests had stood to hold the Ark of the Covenant, keeping the waters parted. And when the waters closed after they passed over, there was one altar on the shore, but there was another altar under the water where only God and Israel knew it was there. There was an altar, a heap of stones in the valley of Achor where Achan and his family died as a result of rebellion to the Lord. And there were stones at the city of Ai where they buried its king after they conquered that pagan city and they won a battle. There were the stones on Mount Ebal where they read God's blessings and his curses and said, Israel, you get to make a choice whether you want your family and your future to be blessed or cursed. And there were the stones at the cave at Makeda where they conquered five kings at once that had attacked them and they buried their bodies in the cave and they built an altar unto the Lord. But when you get to the final chapter and the final altar in the book of Joshua, it's just one large single stone. Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, because this stone has heard everything you've heard. This stone was here when you were preached to. This stone was here when you felt God's presence. This stone has heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall therefore be a witness unto you lest you deny your God. And in the same measure that that stone stood as a witness, a silent testimony to Israel of God's faithfulness, these walls and these ceilings and this building stands here on this hill as a testament to the faithfulness of God to the family of Capital Community Church. It's a silent but significant memorial. 
You see what Joshua was telling the people that day is if only this stone could talk, it would say a whole lot. It would be a witness to you. In the book of 1 Samuel, something very similar happens. The dust settles after a stunning defeat by the Philistines at a place called Ebenezer. And the Israelites on that day of horrific battle, they are left with 34,000 dead soldiers. And they're left with the horrific realization that the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. Never before in Israel's history had the Ark of God, the tangible symbol of His presence, never before had it fallen into pagan hands. But what Israel had failed to realize on that day was the Ark was already in pagan hands when backslidden Hophni and Phinehas broke God's commands, removed it from the tabernacle, and carried it uncovered into battle. And that's why God allowed those two men to be killed on the same day that the ark was captured. It was a day of unbelievable defeat. When the high priest Eli heard that his sons had been killed and the ark had been taken, he fell off his seat backward, broke his neck, and died instantly. And almost simultaneously, his daughter-in-law heard about the tragedy and her labor pains came upon her and she died in childbirth, but not before in anguish of soul, she could name her newborn son and she called him Ichabod, meaning the glory is departed from Israel. Kabod means glory, the weighty, beautiful presence of God. Ichabod means no glory. The glory is gone. So this little boy comes into the world with no parents, no grandfather, no God, and no hope, all because the glory is departed. That horrific moment in 1 Samuel 4 is so tragic that years later, the psalmist is writing about it. So that God forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he placed among men, and he delivered his strength into captivity, and he gave his glory into the enemy's hand. After seven months, everybody in the cities of the Philistines, they were terrified of that little gold-plated box with the angels on the top. Because by then, many judgments had fallen on their nations. Their pagan idols lay broken across the threshold of their own temple. The Philistines learned in just a few months that Israel's God was more than capable of defending himself. So they packed up the Ark of the Covenant. They put it on a little wooden cart. And they pointed it in the direction of, of Israel. And let it go home. Much later, after the ark was restored to its rightful place, the prophet Samuel led the nation of Israel in a national prayer of repentance. And it was while they were in that prayer meeting that God worked for them. God himself defeated Philistine armies who were trying to attack Israel while they were praying. And that was the moment when they were delivered through a prayer meeting. That was the moment that Samuel, just like Joshua, 
set up a single large stone as a memorial. Then Samuel took a stone and he set it between Mizpah and Shen. And he called the name of that big rock Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. In chapter 4, the exile of the ark was memorialized in the name Ichabod, which means the glory is departed. But now in chapter 7 of 1 Samuel, the victory of God is memorialized in another name, Ebenezer, which means hitherto the Lord has helped us. Up to this point... God has been with us. Yes, the enemy attacked. Yes, the enemy would like to do us in. Yes, we've had setbacks, defeats, failures, and days we didn't know which way was up and which way was down. But up to this point, the Lord has helped us. Up to right now, God has been faithful to us. And if he's seen us this far, guess what? We know he's going to see us all the way home because hitherto... The Lord has helped us. Literally, the name Ebenezer means stone of help. Ebenezer had been the site of Israel's greatest defeat when they lost the Ark of the Covenant. But God turned it around in a prayer meeting. And now Ebenezer became the site of a great victory. All because they turned to God in repentance. Now hear me very carefully, brothers and sisters. It is not that Israel will never have another enemy. It's not that they'll never have another battle to fight. It's not that they'll never see a dark day or a perplexing night. It's not that they will never suffer another defeat because they will. But when they do, they will be able to look back at this moment and this stone that can't speak and yet it shouts at them. Hitherto the Lord has helped us. I think I know why Asaph said, I was so perplexed and I was so confused when I saw all the wealth of the ungodly and I saw how it looked like they were blessed and I felt so all alone and I felt so uh, out of it. And then he said this, but then I came into the sanctuary of God. That's what this place does for me. I come into the sanctuary of God and 60 years of God's faithfulness come washing over me and I just say I can make it one more week. God's carried us for 60 years. We started with a little crew down over the hill, but look at what God has done through his people. God has been faithful to us. I can do it one more time. All I have to do is walk into any room in this place and I just say, oh God, you have been faithful to us. When I walk into one of these sanctuaries and I think about the praises that are lifted up to God and I hear the sweet singing of all of these anointed young people, here's what I think. Oh God, you've been good to us and if you've brought us thus far, you're gonna lead us home. Yes, we've cried around caskets. Yes, we've had issues and problems. Yes, we've had times we didn't know which way we were going to turn for a while. But God has been faithful to us. And guess what, hell? Guess what, devil? We're still here. God is still on the throne. And we're going to make it. 
Hitherto, thus far, up to this very moment, God has helped us. If that's your testimony personally, I wish you'd take just a moment and lift up a great thanks to Jesus because he's seen you thus far. He's been with you thus far. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> yes, Jesus. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come to. His grace will lead me home. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, let it ring. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. You sang it. Let's do it. Lift him up. Lift him up. Yes, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I worship you, God. <laughs> How good you are, Jesus. How good you are. You see, brothers and sisters, Ebenezer means even more to us than it did to Joshua and Samuel and Israel. Ebenezer means more to us because there's another stone in the Bible. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is now become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the stone this church is built upon. Paul said, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners and alcoholics and drug addicts and pornographers and perverted, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And you, church, you are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Guess what? Jesus Christ himself being the chief 
cornerstone. We got a better stone, a greater stone, a bigger stone, a stronger stone. This church isn't built on a foundation of concrete. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and this stone. Jesus Christ tells us hitherto the Lord has helped us up to this point. God has been faithful. (laughs) You see, we too have a place where sin should have defeated us. But God won the battle when we turned to Him with repentance hearts. It's not a place called Ebenezer. It's a place called Calvary. When God took His glory so seriously, He Himself took our punishment when we fell short of that glory. He forgave our sins and our imperfections, and He could do it because of His own perfect sacrifice. Sixty years after our founding, we still preach Christ and Him crucified. There is no other message that breaks the shackles of sin. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I come to this pulpit on this very special day with all of you wonderful people that I love so much. And I say, hitherto, the Lord has helped us. Calvary looked like a total defeat, you know. Jesus' body had been captured by death and it was buried within the temple of that tomb. The enemy was laughing and mocking heaven as Jesus breathed his last. But we celebrated it just last week. On the third day, the power of Satan, death, and hell lay shattered and broken on the threshold of the grave. And so I say... With a God like that, who could be against us? Hitherto, the Lord has helped us. In the generation that succeeded Samuel, there was a young leader who came to shepherd God's people. The Bible calls him in two places, one in the Old and one in the New Testament. The man after God's own heart. And in his humility, that young leader Given the task and the honor of shepherding God's people, he prayed this prayer. And David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that thou hast brought me hitherto? You've brought me all this way. And David, you know this story. He had it in his heart. It was his desire to build a beautiful temple for the Lord in gratitude for all that God had done. But God told David that he had other plans and that it would be his son Solomon that would build that great temple. The conversation went something like this. David said, God, I want to build you a house. And God looked back at David and said, "Mm -mm, I'm going to build you a house generations from now your descendants are still going to be worshiping me you want to build me a house I appreciate that David but I'm going to build you a house guess what CCC here all this time for 60 years we thought we were building buildings and putting up timbers and we thought we were sheet rocking and painting walls and laying carpet we wanted to build God a house and God said oh I like that that's so wonderful thank you for your tribute thank you for your faithfulness thank you for your giving but guess what 
want CCC? I'm going to build you a house. Your grandkids are going to be apostolic. Your great-grandchildren, if Jesus tarries, are going to know the name of the one true God. They're going to be baptized in the only saving name of Jesus, and they're going to be filled with his spirit, speaking in other tongues. You want to build me a house? I'm grateful. I want to build you a house, and my house is going to be bigger than the biggest house you could ever build for me. I know we've been through a weird kind of a year. I know we've had all kinds of restrictions on gatherings and you folks have been so wonderful and you're still doing it and we're pretty much almost through it. It won't be long now. But let me tell you, it's been a strange year and we haven't known sometimes which way this thing's all going to pan out. But we have a covenant with a God who promised that he's going to build us a house. So if these walls could talk... They might say something like the prophet Jeremiah said. Thus saith the Lord, if you can break my covenant of the day and my covenant of the night, that there should not be day and night in their season. If you can stop the sun from rising, if you can stop stop the darkness from coming in the night, if you can do that, then and only then may my covenant be broken with David my servant that he should not have a son to reign upon his throne. God said, only if you can break the covenant of day and night. If you can stop day and night from happening in the world, then and only then can you break my covenant of faithfulness. Guess what? You can't stop night from coming tonight. You can't stop the sun from coming up in the morning. That's God's covenant of the day and night. But God said, I got a stronger covenant. It's the covenant I make with my people. If my people serve me, I'm making a covenant to build them a house. Let me tell you, if Jesus tarries, I don't know what color the walls will be. I don't know what color the carpet will be, but there's going to be a place, God willing and people being faithful, there's going to be a place here on this hill or somewhere nearby where we're going to be worshiping God with hundreds of people and thanking God in 70 or 80 years for his faithfulness. And if he comes before that which I think he's going to, We are going to a temple, a building, a city not made with hands. You talk about a building project. Oh my. I just need you to get that word in your spirit and I'm going to end right here. Somebody shout out, hitherto. We don't use that word anymore. But that word means up until this point, up until this day. I don't know what I may face tomorrow. I don't know if there may be trouble or sorrow or pain or loss. But I know this. I've got a rear view mirror in my spirit. And I can look back down the road where I laid that heavy load of sin. And I can watch how Jesus has led me all the way. And if he's led me up till today through dangers, toils, and snares, I don't have any doubt that he's going to be there tomorrow no matter what the devil or hell itself throws at me.
church isn't so much about the walls we've built, and we love them, and we're so grateful for the blessing of God. Church is about what happens inside these walls. Church is about all of you and your kids and your grandkids and your neighbors and your friends. And church is about people that have never walked inside these walls yet. That's why this building is here. And today we pause to look back. But my goodness, brothers and sisters, what a waste it would be to spend our life driving down the road of life looking in the rearview mirror and only looking back. Aren't you excited about the faithfulness of God as you look toward the future? He's so good to us. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. God is so good to me. Oh, yes, he's good to me. More than this world could be. He's so good to me. His to me and gave me victory. God is so good to me. I can't complain. Oh, lift up everything you've got at the end of this service. out in the foyer and online, join us. Give a great praise to the Lord today. Oh, I worship you, Jesus. Oh, I love you, God. I love you, Jesus. I'd like you in both of our locations, if you would stand with me, I want you to stand in memory of those that have gone before us, and I want you to stand in anticipation of those and in faith for those who will come after us if Jesus tarries. CCC, we're the hinge. We are the hinge between past and present. We are the hinge between promise and fulfillment. And God has been with us thus far. He's going to take us all the way. Would you take the hand of anybody that's in your bubble? 
that you came to church with, and would you lift that hand with yours? And now would you lift your voices higher, way higher than those hands? And in both of our venues today, I want you to pray and ask God's blessing and anointing to rest on your family. If you're here all alone, pray for everybody you can name, everybody you know around you. God, I want my kids and my grandkids... Lord Jesus, I want great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. As long as you tarry, I want them to know you in the power of your spirit. I want them to know you in the power of your resurrection, Jesus. Oh, the presence of God is here. The presence of Jesus is in this room right now. I worship you, Jesus. I love you, God. I worship you, God. I worship you, God. Kathy or Ryan, somebody help me on the keyboard for a moment. Just pray for one more time. I want to pray over you before we dismiss today, but just lift him up one more time. I worship you, God. I worship you, God. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these people. I look around this room today and my mind goes to everybody else that couldn't be in this small room today. And I think of the victories in our church family. I think of lives delivered from sin and families forever altered. Children that would have been raised watching daddy with a beer bottle in his hand every night. Now watching daddy lift his hands and give praise to you. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for homes that you've knit back together. And I thank you for those that you've healed from sickness. And they're still here today because of your healing touch and your your wonderful grace. Jesus, it's been a long time, 60 years. Sometimes in 60 years... We don't see our prayers answered the way we wanted them to be. And there are defeats and losses. And sometimes we gather together as family and we weep. And we hug each other. And we look at caskets that seem to defy our faith. And yet we know that hitherto you've helped us. Up to this very moment you have been faithful. I pray your blessing on every home that is represented by our church family. I pray that every home would be a place where if the walls could talk, they would sing loudly a song of redemption. You have been good to us, Jesus. We set aside this day not just to mark time, We set aside this day to honor the God of all eternity who stepped into time and gave us eternal life. We honor and worship you today, Jesus. Before we sing one closing song, would you lift up your hands and your voice and your heart and your words and would you just give God a praise that is befitting 60 years of His faithfulness to all of us. What a beautiful, powerful day to be in the presence of God.
among his people. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I'm so glad I've learned to trust. You ready to sing? Precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that Thou art with me. Like a big choir. Everybody sing. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him all and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh. Let the church arise in worship and sing. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. 